should be back next Sunday, next Lord's Day. That would be a blessing to the church. I invite you to turn with me to the scripture reading for the morning. It's in Mark, the fourth chapter, verses 35 through 41. Mark, the fourth chapter, verses 35 through 41. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So we read this word with our sanctification in mind that we might be more in tune to God's revealed will for us. And on that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the multitude, they took him along with them just as he was in the boat. And other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That sends this reading of God's word. Let us pray. We need understanding that only the Spirit of God could give us, and so we petition you, God the Father, Son, and Spirit. Spirit of God, work these teachings from your word into our hearts and lives that we might honor and serve the Lord Jesus Christ better. For we pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. I put you to the test. Let's see what you remember. Does anybody remember? Oh. <laughs> that sort of makes us nervous, doesn't it? That's not what I mean. I didn't mean to get that reaction. Let's start over again. <laughs> Let me see if you remember this person. Does anybody here remember Odell Fish? Odell Fish. He was a pastor, minister in the PCA. Odell graduated from RTS a bunch of years ago. Odell was the person who, humanly speaking, started beginning again in Christ, B-A-I-C, a prison ministry, because Odell had been in prison. God saved him. He was pardoned. Seminary, serving God. There was a day uh, that Odell was uh, fishing. Odell Fish was fishing on the reservoir. A storm came up and Odell drowned that day. It can be a bit intimidating when you're around water like that and a storm comes along. For years I spent a fair amount of time in Panama City Beach with RUF conferences, Reform University Fellowship conferences. One of my duties was to handle one of the boats. 
It lived in our backyard, <laughs> so it tells you it wasn't that large. A Hobie cat, catamaran, two hulls and a trampoline. You've seen them, you know, Hawaii, flying a hull, that kind of thing. Oh, they're great. They're fun. There came that day, though, at the end of the week, and the red flags had been up all week. We couldn't get in the water. But on this day, the yellow flag was up. I thought, let's hit the water. <laughs> Four of us put out from the beach, and immediately I realized that was really a bad idea. We went down in a swell. Immediately after having put away from the beach and went down in a swell, I couldn't see the buildings on the beach. Bad idea. <laughs> the next thing I said was, we've got to do our best to get back to that beach because this is more dangerous than I anticipated. Well, we did bring the boat about. I brought the boat about. I was in charge. <laughs> brought the boat about and uh, headed running for the beach as quickly as we could. The first big swell just about took us down, but didn't. It was the second one. At which point the boat was turned over. The mast got to the sand because we were that close, broke the mast, broke the cross piece that holds the holes together, and there we are with an undertow that was quite dangerous. Crashed the boat endangered the people on, on the boat. I was the only one who drowned. <laughs> I'm, I'm just being sure that you're still with me. <laughs> Some of you are. <laughs> uh, thankfully, none of us drowned, but it was a scary event. It was really a scary event. What we've read about in this passage is a scary event for fishermen, for people who sail regularly, but they found themselves in a situation where they were absolutely convinced their lives were endangered. And Jesus was asleep. We heard this passage, remember it from about the time, what, you were six years old at Sunday school? We've heard the rendition of it many times, and so the events don't really need that much retelling. But perhaps a, a look at the events might give us some benefit. And here we learn that Jesus in a crisis is there. And we might learn that our faith is strengthened even when we're not facing crises because of this story by God's inspiration for the well-being of people like you and me. First thing to be said is this. First point is this. The sleeping Jesus. He was sound asleep. Asleep at the wheel. He wasn't at the wheel. But he was sound asleep in the midst of this event. This is the only time in Scripture that we have recorded not the only little passage, but the only event in which we find Jesus asleep. And hence we can perceive much about the humanity of this, the God-man. He was worn out. I was worn out yesterday, were you? 
Here, here's my little thesis and see if you, you uh, get into this or not. I deal with people all the time. You can't break them and you can't fix them. <laughs> Saturday's the day when I break and fix. <laughs> I start about 8 and I work until I don't want to work anymore. And I was worn out yesterday. It's hardly comparable to the exhaustion, though, that Jesus was experiencing. You know, people will wear you out. And he had been around people all this time already. Probably most of them wanting something from him. People will wear you out. So here he is in the stern of the boat, exhausted from the push of the day, as we say, from the crowds, and he is the God-man. He is totally human, just as you and I are, but if you learned your catechism, quoting the scripture, totally human, yet without sin, he was asleep. He was asleep. What's with him after all? And that seems to be the way the, the, the other men in the boat were responding to him. What's with you? We're about to drown. Don't you have any concern for us? In this passage, we, we learn of the humanity of Jesus. We learn of the deity of Jesus. Compressed into these little bitty verses, both things are told to us to be true. Totally God and totally man. We find it, don't we, to be interesting that he was totally man because he identifies with us. He identifies with us when we're worn out. He identifies with us when we're dealing with people. He identifies with us when we're facing problems. He identifies with us when we are facing almost insanity in this country around us. Can people calm down? He identifies with us when we have troubles at work, when we have troubles in the family. He has understanding of all those things human, yet without sin. He's the God-man. In these little bitty verses, one man said, His humanity here appears as true as when he lay cradled in the manger. His divinity as when he it's when the sages from the east laid their offerings at his feet. Comparable passages because both of those events are teaching us about the nature of Jesus. Do you think Jesus identifies with you? Yes, because we're supposed to say yes. Do you think Jesus is aware of the difficulties that you encounter? Yes, because we know he is. In general, this congregation has a little bit of age on it. (laughs) History affirms our beliefs. History isn't the reason for our beliefs, but it reflects our convictions. I was teaching a class at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary week before this past. And one of the questions I put to the class was, would you 20 years ago have thought yourself to be sitting in this class at Greenville Seminary? 
Not at all. What about 10 years ago? No, not at all. You look back though, and you look back, and you see God's providential care, meaning His fingerprints all over you, in situations that we did not understand back then. But Jesus, the God-man, was directly involved with them. What's the biggest problem you've encountered in life? What's the biggest family event you've encountered in life? God is directly involved in them. It is fair to say, accurate to say, biblically sound to say, that God's providence is a straight line. And He is polishing you and me to make us more appropriate unto heaven. He's getting us ready. But here's Jesus sound asleep. He doesn't care. God, I've, I've done prayed about that 12 times. You don't seem to be caring. Lord, I've prayed about that for many years and you don't seem to be caring. Are you asleep? Second point is the awakened Jesus. So now he has rebuked fever. He's tossed out demons and he's dealing with a storm. And they wonder, who in the world is this? This is he is something far different from what we were surmising him to be and what we anticipated him to be. And he's wondering, as he says in the passage, basically, where's your faith? They are startled that he deals with these things. He's startled that they don't have faith in him. The disciples express a kind of resentment and, re and reproach to him. One man said that it could be better quoted maybe of saying, we're going to drown. Don't you care? Don't you care? No one ever cared for me like Jesus. They accused him of not caring. You ever accused God? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> I won't make you do this. <laughs> do you ever accuse God of not caring? Hmm. I think I'm president of the club, but my guess is that you're members of the club too. Jesus dealt with the storm. Another man said, it's more accurate to quote it, be silent, he said. Be muzzled. Well, we don't understand much about muzzling anymore, do we? But he said, be muzzled. I'm in control here. Providence, providence, providence. There's been natural anarchy since Genesis 3. There's been natural rebellion. We'll call it natural. It is of the order of our nature. Not to have confidence in God. 
but He's made us new. We look back at that time, perhaps maybe you didn't know when you were converted. Praise the Lord for it. Maybe you grew up in this church. Maybe you grew up in a church and you don't remember a day when you didn't trust Jesus. Wonderful. But our nature, sinful nature, since the fall, encourages us to doubt God, doesn't it? What are you doing asleep when I need you? It's interesting that there's a little bit of a, uh, uh, an, uh, an order here. In this passage, Jesus' words of seeming rebuke come after He has dealt with the situation. Sea has come, the winds are down. You don't have faith? Or it might better be said, you don't have stronger faith? These are people who were believing in Him. But this startles them. At times God brings a word of challenge to us, doesn't He? After, after we have shown ourselves to be of little faith. And we look back and we say, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? The Bible says it, and frankly, in my experience, I've known it to be true. But all it takes is a little bump in the road for you and me. And we say, Jesus must be asleep. Hindsight, though, gives us better faith. Well, the third point is, it is a call for stronger faith, isn't it? It is a call for stronger faith. One man said, the weakness of faith and of discernment on the part of the disciples appears in Mark most strongly of the synoptics. Well, I don't know exactly what to make of that. That's what this man ascertains about the Gospels lined up next to each other. Mark is the one who, who seems to point out weak faith. We might do a discourse on Mark. That would be interesting. We might do a discourse on comparing the Gospels. That could be interesting. But what is it that God is creating in the mind of Mark for Mark to be emphasizing that you and I and others have weak faith when it might be that we have stronger faith? One commentator said, They should have known enough of Him by now to enable them to trust and believe that neither could the Messiah perish in a storm nor would He allow them to perish because they had obeyed Him. Have you not yet faith? Well, the point is not, is it, that if we believe in God, we're going to live to be 123 years old. We'll never have financial difficulties. 
will never have medical difficulties. Who would have imagined that this country would be turned on its ear with a bug? Who would imagine that our lives would be changed like they have because of a flu? Christians encounter afflictions, don't we? I made reference to voices from the past and I made references from this pulpit saying that the major topic in those Puritan writings noted by the editor was affliction. We encounter affliction. We die. It is of the nature of human beings. But as we quoted in the Apostles' Creed, we anticipate life into the future, the resurrection from the dead. The Bible so clearly teaches and you and I have confidence in that teaching in the Bible. I promise you, I promise you, remember, I promise you, you're going to die. <laughs> that's, a, that, that's just the truth, isn't it? But I promise you, I promise you, Jesus has said that there's a resurrection of the dead. And Jesus has said, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. We do not fear affliction and we do not fear even death because He has broken the power of both for us. Storms teach us to pray. God's blessing teaches us to pray. Storms and blessing both are tools that God uses to strengthen faith. Having gone through really difficult circumstances and we find ourselves on the other side, we look back and we say, I get it. I understand what God was doing. And I thank God for His fingerprints all over me. Troubles can bring strength and faith and more particular obedience. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher in England in the 19th century toward the end of the century, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said once, God's greatest gift to us is good health. Unless it's bad health. Brister Ware, first prayers. Some of you know Brister. Brister Ware said in a sermon decades ago in the evening that I still remember a sentence that he said, the afflictions of this life wean us away from the affections of this life. We go through these things and by God polishing us, they make us all the more ready for heaven. Affliction brings about peace. Thomas Watson, one of the Puritans, once said. Affliction, the sea storm, could have brought about confidence in the disciples. Could have. Will those things bring about stronger faith with you? 
They feared water. They feared the water. I mean, we drink water. <laughs> they feared the water. We clean ourselves in water. We cook with water. They feared water. What do you fear? What? what are, we're not going to do this either. But wouldn't it be interesting to take a little pause and to go around the room and, and list our fears? Wouldn't that be something? And we might laugh at ourselves the way, in a manner of speaking, we're laughing at the disciples in that boat. What were they thinking? They had been in the presence of God. What were they thinking? Uh, the Lord strengthens feeble-minded faith, doesn't He? We have a rather vague and, a, and a unspecified confidence in God being at work in our lives, don't we? Oh, yeah, God is good. How many times have you said that in a lifetime? God is good. God is good to me. Sort of unspecified. In the midst of threatening events, do your fears overtake you? They do me. I'm sorry to have to admit it to you. I, I'm, I'm old enough to seemingly to get past some of that. Are you that old yet? Hmm. One man said, with him, that is Jesus, there can be no difficulty since all is his. And all may be ours since he has come for our help and is in the ship. One thing only he wonders at, the shortcomings of our faith. And one thing only makes it impossible for him to help our unbelief. Well, whence cometh faith? Whence cometh stronger faith? Whence cometh fearlessness? The Spirit of God, as the Westminster Confession of Faith says in the first chapter, uh, first chapter, paragraph number 10, God's Spirit speaking in and through the Word of God to God's people strengthens your faith, builds you up. And we say... We're not particularly fearful of the storm because we know the person who deals with it. He understands me. He knows my weakness. And yet He died for me in my weakness. And He continues to give me stronger faith. If you lose focus, all can be lost though. If you lose focus, lose focus, everything is, is out, of, out, out, of, out of focus. We run into the wall when we lose focus. We get hurt when we lose focus and run off the road. But we can be better focused and see God at work. 
I want to read a little bit to you here. Don't, don't, don't be off put by a little bit of reading. In 1952, Florence Chadwick, you may know this story. In 1952, Florence Chadwick stepped off Catalina Island, California into the waters of the Pacific Ocean. Determined to swim to the mainland. I mean, people do these crazy things, don't they? I'm going to swim over there. I'm on an island and I can see America. I think I'm going to swim over there. I wouldn't have done it. An experienced swimmer, she had already made history as the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. The weather that day was foggy and chilly. Florence could hardly see the boats accompanying her. They were all gathered around. That's what happens. Still, she swam steadily for 15 hours. When she begged to be taken out of the water, her mother and the boat alongside her told her that she was close and that she could make it. But Florence, physically and emotionally exhausted, stopped swimming and was pulled into the boat. It wasn't until she was on board that she discovered the shore was less than a half mile away. At a news conference the next day, she said, All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. We can see the shore. We don't get waylaid by the fog. We are Christian people. God has changed us and He's making us different each day for the sake of making us more prepared or suited for heaven. Stronger faith promises, promises. Thomas Lyle, one of the Puritans said, God's promises are like the bottle that faith keeps by her side to revive her in a day of swooning. God's promises. It's like the medicine. It's like the, it's the smelling sauce. God's promises are like the smelling sauce that at times we need to pick up it, take a good breath, a good breath of it, and 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 come back better to our senses. God's promises in His Word strengthen the faith of believing people. Another. God's goodness inclines him to make his promises and his faithfulness engages him to keep them. God promises. God promises. God's promises. We start off by saying that the little sea event shows us that God can give us faith in the midst of difficult times and we suggested that God's uh, work in our lives strengthens our faith even in the midst of times that are not plagued with affliction. He's not asleep. He's not asleep. And we don't say to Him, what were you thinking Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Spirit, Jesus Christ, God Himself, same in substance, equal in power and glory, 
as the Father and the Son. We believe. Help us, help us by strengthening our faith. We believe because you have worked faith into us. And it is good and appropriate to ask you to strengthen that faith. For we pray it because of what Jesus has done for us. And in his, and in his name we ask it. Amen. you would please stand for him a commitment and trust. Mm -hmm.